You're listening to Fit Girl, your guide to getting in shape, the podcast dedicated to helping you separate fact from fiction in fitness. For more details about this podcast and other episodes, visit fitgirlpodcast.com. This is podcast episode number 275. Why you should do weight training instead of cardio for weight loss, healthy foods that make you gain weight, and the next steps to take to empower your mindset to stay motivated and overcome self-sabotage. Okay, let's just dive right into nutrition because there are some foods that are deemed healthy, and those are little air quotes, that might actually make you gain weight. Now, healthy does not mean that a food is calorie-free or it can be eaten in unlimited quantities, but sometimes we might think that or maybe it gives us the impression that that's the case. Now, this could actually be a very long list, but I'm going to narrow it down to just a few of them and maybe save some for next time or a future podcast. Now, the first one is granola. And when you think of granola, you think of maybe oats and nuts and raisins, and you think that's a really healthy combination of foods. But it also usually contains sugar. And sugar is a natural food. So sure, it can say that it doesn't have any artificial um, ingredients, but sugar is natural. It just also is used a lot and can make us gain weight very easily. And some people get fooled by the fact that there are other things that really are just sugar, but they have nicer names like honey, which is basically sugar, molasses, also sugar, and things like butter that are also all natural, but not necessarily good for us. And especially if they're in higher quantities than we realize. And that can happen a lot in commercial type of granola. If you've ever made your own, then you probably know if you didn't put some of these things in there, it's kind of bland. So if you are eating granola or maybe sprinkling it on something, then just keep an eye on the ingredients and of course the grams of sugar because you want to make sure that you're not going so high in sugar that it's really going to mess up your blood sugar levels. Now the other downside of granola is, yeah, it can be high in calories because it a lot of times has dried fruit and nuts, which are healthy for you, but again, high in calories and all of that can add up. So you need to really watch your portions. And that's another downside, is that your portions are usually much larger than the actual serving size. So when you are eating granola or any food, you want to look and see what they think a serving size is and what you think a serving size is. And then you'll know whether you're on target uh, for the right amount to eat at one sitting. Because most of the time, and especially if it comes to cereals and things like this, your portion is going to be like two or three times more than what the recommended serving is. And that's a big difference. And that's one big step for a lot of people in taking control of losing weight is that they realize, oh, I'm having two or three portions when I think I'm only having one. So that's another reason to look at your labels, not only for the ingredients to see if there's hidden types of sugars. And again, sugar is not necessarily bad in small quantities, but it is something that can make some people gain weight a lot faster, um, most people actually. So you want to keep an eye on it and make sure that you're not overdoing it, but thinking that you're being healthy at the same time. Now, Something else that is very easy to have too many servings of and totally throw off your dieting or your weight loss program is low-fat salad dressings. So automatically we think, oh, low-fat salad dressing. Well, low-calorie, low-fat, right? That's the same. Well, it's not. It's not at all. And a lot of times it's used as a marketing ploy. 
and things will be labeled as low-fat or fat-free that, well, number one, never had fat to begin with, like ketchup, or maybe have a lower amount of fat than its alternative, which is really, really high in fat, or maybe it just is low in fat but higher in sugars to make up for the taste and therefore much higher in calories. And when you think about it, things that have sugar, well, they're going to taste better than things without sugar. And things that have some fats in them, they're going to probably taste better than things that have no fat. So it's finding the items that have the right combination so that they're not overdoing one versus the other. Now, when I was looking at different products online, I actually found that Ken's fat-free sun-dried tomato vinaigrette has 14 grams of sugar. Now in the article I was looking at, it compared it to a fun-sized Snickers bar, saying that it has five more grams than you would get in that little fun-sized bar. Now those fun-sized bars, they're pretty small, but still you would think vinaigrette, vinegar, well that's got to be pretty good, not much wrong, and it's low fat, so hey, got to be good, right? So it's not that it's not good if low fat is what you're looking for, but in the same respect, it's got more sugars, so you want to be aware of how much you're using because that's only two tablespoons. And I don't know, have you ever actually measured two tablespoons of salad dressing? It's not that much. And I can pretty much guarantee you, you probably put more, if not a lot more. And again, that goes back to know your serving size, know what the serving size says on the bottle and know what you normally put in there or just start measuring these things with whatever they're usually measured by, like this one's tablespoons, um, sometimes they're cups or ounces, and get a good idea of what really is the amount that you should be eating. Now, another thing that has some hidden calories, or maybe we just assume it's healthy, therefore, you know, it's okay to have, is shakes or smoothies. And I don't know where you live, but if the Jamba Juice is popular or whatever, um, they can have a lot of different things in them that you don't realize you're adding up in the calories. I mean, personally, I've never been there, but I have a friend who goes there all the time. And things that can add up are fruits. Fruits are still sugar. So if there's a lot of fruit in it, then yeah, you're going to have the extra sugar and some calories. And then a lot of times they'll put the honey in it to sweeten it. Um, they'll also put protein powder, which is good, but it depends on the type of protein you're using because maybe it's adding some calories, but not a lot of protein. Maybe that protein has more carbs than you would normally have. And let's face it, fruit is great and fruit is healthy, but fruit is also carbs. And when you're blending it up, it's easier to eat a bunch of it than just chewing on it. So there's a big difference between eating an apple all by itself versus taking it through the blender and eating mush. Now, if you're including the skin of the apple, then yeah, you're getting that fiber. But if you're not, which in a lot of cases that's already peeled off, then that's not good. It changes the whole metabolism of the apple and therefore what it does for you or to you. Now, on the other hand, if you're one of those people that are trying to gain weight, then it's a great thing because you can get those extra calories that you wouldn't normally be able to eat. Uh, also, if you're one of those people that is always in a rush and you just don't have time to eat, again, that's a better choice than skipping a meal because at least you're going to give your body some sort of nutrition. You just want to make sure that it's good nutrition, that it's a protein powder that's got some decent amount of protein, like maybe 20, 25 grams, maybe 30 grams a serving, and that's usually one scoop. You want to know exactly how much fruit and what type of fruit is going into it. Uh, you also want to know, are you using ice as a filler or a fluff, or are you using milk or almond milk 
or soy milk because all of that makes a difference too because all of those types of milks will affect the body a lot differently but that's another topic but the boils down to know what's in it be able to calculate your nutrients so you know exactly or approximately how many carbs protein and fat grams you're getting now we're not going to go into details on gluten-free stuff but gluten-free is kind of similar to granola in that sure it's healthy but depending on the quantity you have, it might not be. And it is certainly great if you have issues with that, but depending on what type of substitute is used, it may be higher in calorie or have less nutrition. So again, just kind of doing a little research on your own to figure out what ingredients you should have in a gluten-free product. Um, sometimes there's also more carbs and calories and more sugar, because again, that's not affecting the body the same way that the, the gluten would. So. Sometimes products have to make up for what they're missing and they add other things that are just plain old not healthy. So hopefully next time you go to eat something or one of these items, you measure it so that you know that you're getting a true serving. And maybe you take a look at the label before you buy it and just make sure if it's all natural, that's great. But realize that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not going to have fat or sugars or calories. Now I realized looking on YouTube that some people actually just record themselves recording the podcast and I suppose I could have done that but there are many times where I get quite a bit tongue-tied and kind of have to rewind and redo it uh, so I don't think that's going to happen in the near future. Uh, anyways we're going to move on to mindset which is motivation and we know now that mindset makes the biggest difference in your weight loss and fitness success just like it does in most parts of your life. You also know that your mind does not like change, but in order for your body to change, you need to train your mind to support you and what you want to achieve. So why is it that you keep finding yourself unmotivated, which can also manifest itself as feeling lazy or unfocused or procrastinating, um, making excuses like I have no time, I don't feel like doing that, um, or I have to finish this first, or I'll do that tomorrow, those types of thoughts in your head. Well, when this happens, you now know that you're dealing with your subconscious mind. Your subconscious is trying to protect you. It doesn't want you to leave that comfort zone, and it's doing everything it can to sabotage you in your conscious level to keep you from leaving that nice, safe comfort zone. So that's going to mess with what you want to achieve. And most of the time, you don't even notice that you're doing this until all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, I have been saying all of those things. I don't have time. I'll do that tomorrow. Monday, I'll start. Those kind of things. And your mind wants to sabotage you because it thinks that the place you're trying to go to is scary and it's not safe. And it thinks that because maybe you've not been there before or maybe you've been there, maybe you've lost weight and gotten in shape or whatever, and then somehow you fell off of it and things changed and whatever the case, you're not there anymore. And so sometimes your, your subconscious is going to protect you from making the mistake again that brought you to maybe where you are now where you might not be feeling as good about yourself or your weight or whatever your, your fitness goals were. So either way, it's trying to protect you. Okay, so now you might be saying, okay, I got this concept. <laughs> I must be really great at self-sabotage because I say all of those phrases, but how do I make it stop? How do I change it? And there's millions of different therapies out there that can actually help you do that. And if you're working with someone right now, then you know, stick to that part of what they're telling you. Um, but you might find some of this information helpful too. I'm going to share with you 
what I found to be helpful with clients and, and even myself when it comes to finding these obstacles, recognizing them and, and overcoming them. Now, the first thing to address is your self-talk. Those are those little thoughts you have in the back of your head. And sometimes you don't even realize they're going on, but they're going on 24 hours a day. And the way you address that is by listing ones that you keep find yourself thinking or God forbid even saying. So different self-talk might be, I look terrible today. Oh my gosh, I look so fat. Or, you know, do I look okay in this? Things like that you would write down so that you can start detecting are, this, are these patterns? Am I saying these phrases more frequently than I realize? And once you're paying attention to it, it's going to be very easy for you to recognize it. And the reason why you want to write these down is because in order to change them, we have to sit there and rewrite them, reprogram your brain to see these things differently. But we'll get to that in a second. So if you can actually detect these patterns in your recurring negative thoughts, it's actually going to lead you to the next step, which is uncovering what your core beliefs are that are producing them. In the next couple of episodes, we're going to get into core beliefs and how to determine what they are and, and how to deal with them. But I always try to explain this in the sense of a belief window. And the belief window is basically the window that you look through with your eyes based on your experience with different things. So whatever's on that window, only you can see. Nobody else can. But whatever's on that window is true for you. And that's why it can be very damaging to us and really hold us back from achieving a lot of things. Because until we take a look at what's on that window, and if it's something that's completely false, then it's not going to change. And if it doesn't change, then we're not going to change. Now, the reason why this belief window is so important and figuring out what's on it is because if you're talking about losing weight or getting in shape and you have some underlying issues that produce unsupportive beliefs and therefore negative self-talk, this is buried deep down in your subconscious and there are reasons for it. But if you don't look into what they are and where they're coming from, then you're just going to stay in that same painful, vicious cycle and continue to self-sabotage and not achieve any goals until you do dig in there and retrain your brain and retrain your brain to recognize that these thoughts are not helpful and they're not supportive and they're not even true. Now, when we're getting rid of negative self-talk, we're not just saying, oh, all foo-foo, let's just think happy thoughts and always positive thoughts because, you know, that's helpful, but that's not the deep-rooted reason. And in order to really change and impact your life, you have to find that deep-rooted reason for some of these negative phrases that are popping around in your head. So in the next couple of podcasts, I'm going to ask you to consider any negative self-talk that you're having and write it down. And that way, when we get to the next step, You'll be able to look at what your negative self-talk is to maybe some of the examples that I'm going to give and then start working through the about three or four step process that we're going to go through in order to stop them from occurring and to change them and to retrain your brain for success. Now, each one of these steps can actually help you quite a bit by themselves, and we're not going to be able to go into super great detail. I might just do a course on that, but it will go through enough that you'll be able to make some changes and really make some progress. So the first one is to identify and then challenge and then change your perceptions. And just to back up a second, um, most of these things we're going to go through, we have to identify them, then we have to challenge them, basically prove to your brain that they're wrong, and then we have to change them into something that's going to support you. So the first one is perceptions. And the second one is your self-talk and then your beliefs. 
And then what I kind of consider maybe the possible step four, or maybe three and a half, is taking then those limiting beliefs and changing that, changing the self-talk to create new beliefs and new habits and to give yourself that support that you deserve. Now, we know we can't eliminate negative self-talk 100%, but even if we get rid of 50% of it, you're going to be a lot more successful. What's going to happen is that slowly as you start to look at these thoughts and beliefs and perceptions in a different context, you can actually put them in perspective. And with this different perspective, the belief no longer feels true. And if it no longer feels true, then it's not going to have that power over you. Once you start to cast doubt on these beliefs that maybe you've lived with forever, like, oh, I don't look good in this, or, you know, oh, I can't do that. And you start casting doubt on their validity, and that long-term belief all of a sudden is going to just disappear because it's not true, and you're just telling your mind, hey, that was wrong all this time. I can change. I can do this. All those different things that um, might have been holding you back in the past, you can change. And that's why it's important to write down these different phrases that pop in your head because some will stand out more than others, but every single one almost usually boils down to one of several categories. So again, watching them, writing them, it's going to actually give you a lot more information on yourself and your thought patterns and change is good. I say that to remind your subconscious because your conscious level knows that change is good, but your subconscious mind is definitely not convinced. So in uncovering these things that sabotage you, we're looking at your perceptions. And there's three different areas that you want to address when it comes to that. And this is having to do, of course, with weight loss and getting in shape, but it could also be with any other aspect of your life that you feel like you might not be at the point you want to be and possibly committing some self-sabotage. So the first area with perceptions is you need to look at the negative perceptions that you have about the process or what it takes to get in shape. Now, some of that is going to be, oh, it's easier for other people, or I don't have time to do this, um, or you just perceive that it's going to take some very strict dieting and starvation and just things you don't want to eat and all this time, and it doesn't. It really doesn't. So like most things, recognizing those perceptions first as far as identifying them and then writing them down so that we can therefore challenge them next. So if those rang true to you, if you find yourself saying, I don't have time, it takes too much time, I don't have hours a day to work out, Um, I don't have a professional chef to cook me the right perfect foods, or I don't have time to go to the grocery store and have all the different things that I need to do, or it's easier for other people, then those are things that you need to stop and recognize that, hey, you know what? It's not easier for other people, and I don't have to spend hours in the gym, and I don't have to have a goofy starvation diet or anything like that. So the process of getting in shape doesn't fall into all of these perceptions that you have. All right, so let's take a look at what it does really take to get in shape. It takes a program, it takes a plan, one of the same. It takes consistency. It takes doing the right exercises instead of the wrong ones, which is why we cover that stuff here. It takes eating the right foods at the right times. And did I mention consistency? Because I think I did. And it takes consistency in all of those aspects. So it's not that it takes a lot of time. You just have to keep making sure that you stay consistent and regular with the right type of eating and the right type of exercise 
which also does not have to be done every single day. Now the correct eating, and again, not starvation, but just nice balanced meals throughout the day to keep your metabolism running, that's what you're looking at. And that does have, you do have to eat every day. So those are the truths about what it takes to get in shape. So can you exercise a couple of times a week? Can you eat healthy foods if you want to? Or does somebody sit on top of you and force food down your face? Do you make your own choices when you go out to dinner? Or does somebody make those choices for you? Because yeah, it might not be the optimal meal, but you can still make a good choice to keep on your plan until you reach your goal. So this kind of goes hand in hand with recognizing what you can control. And a lot of times we don't think we can control these things such as what we eat or when we can get to the gym or when we can get some exercise done because you don't have to go to the gym to get some good exercise. You just have to know what to do. So let's say you can't get to the gym. You have a backup plan. You say, okay, this is the workout I'm going to do. I only have 10 minutes. It takes 10 minutes and boom, you crank it out. So again, that's going back to having a plan and being able to stay consistent because you have that backup plan. And just like going out to eat, it may not be the, the best kick-ass workout you've ever done, but it's still keeping your muscles moving, keeping your body working, burning calories, and still getting you closer to your goal. So that's basically where you start to identify your perceptions about exercise and what it takes to lose weight. And then again, writing them down is really helpful because you can kind of step back and take a look at it and then say, okay, I'm going to challenge those. I mean, we just did that. We just challenged all of those and none of them really held true, did they? When it comes to perceptions, there's still two more things you want to look at. So the next one is what do you perceive are the downsides of actually being in shape? You know, maybe you're sabotaging because you think that, well, if I'm in really good shape, people are going to treat me differently. Um, I'm going to have different expectations of other people will have different expectations for me, or maybe I will have those for myself. You know, what's something that might be a downside? And sometimes that's not so easy to, to realize because it is pretty deep rooted, but stop and think about that for a second. You know, do you say, well, I'm going to have to get a whole new wardrobe and you know, on the outside, we might say, oh, that's not so bad. But on the inside, we might be dreading it because we like certain clothes that we have. Or maybe we like being incognito. Maybe we don't like to have the attention that, you know, people who are in shape get. Or maybe we don't like to be hounded by people saying, oh, my gosh, you lost weight. You look great. What did you do? Tell me everything you did. This is what I did. Is that right? You know, and that can get old really fast. So think about what things are kind of negatively perceived. And then, of course, on the same side, we need to look at the upsides, okay? So in getting in shape, well, the biggest upside is definitely going to be feeling good about yourself and being healthy, you know, being able to do more, but you're just having your body be more healthy and hopefully have more longevity because of it. Then, of course, there's confidence from achieving something that you set out to do, uh, confidence from just feeling good in your body and that your muscles are all working right and they're strong and that you're now having different goals as far as whether it's lifting weights a certain amount or doing a different program or going for a mountain walk or mountain walk, <laughs> climbing the, some mountain or something. Anyways, whatever the case may be, you know, now all of a sudden you've opened the window to a whole new slew of types of goals not just weight loss anymore because now you can maintain that. And so that also could be a downside. Maybe all of a sudden you're like, ooh, you know, I'm so used to this only being the goal and if I finally achieve it, ugh, what am I going to do then? Okay, so that, that's still not really a valid downside. 
So in writing all these down, you are building a better shape of what you're going to replace on your belief window. And you basically have to convince your subconscious that it's wrong. Now, sometimes it can be a little harder to come up with the upsides than the downsides, because I'm going to let you uh, know some of the different phrases that people have told me in the past. They said, well, um, I'm afraid to change because I'm going to fall back again. I'm afraid to leave that comfort zone because then I'll end up back there anyway. Or I, I don't really know how to act as somebody who's healthy. I've always been, you know, Mr. Mr. Go out and eat everything and be all jolly. So I, I don't really know how that fit person is supposed to act. Um, I also find people are superficial when I look better. So maybe I don't want that association anymore. Um, some people actually have said that they're afraid that their relationship with their husband um, or boyfriend, girlfriend will change if they lose the weight. And that has happened to some people. But if someone else is changed or changes their behavior towards you because of the way you look, then that's their issue. It's not yours. And it's probably not something that you want to be around anyway. In the same respect, you can also ask that spouse, friend, whatever, to support you, to support you in your goals and say, look, this is what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid things are going to change and I don't want that to happen. And that way you guys can work together and you'll have the extra support that you need. And that makes your relationship even stronger. So that is step one, your perceptions. Identify them, challenge them, and then change them. And yes, change them by writing it out. And I know I say that a lot and hopefully it sinks in because it makes a huge difference in how your brain accepts what you're teaching it. Now, in the next episode, we'll go through the step two, which is the self-talk. And that actually is some stuff that we've gone through before. So you should be pretty close to having that done. So then we can also combine that with the changing of your beliefs, which is going to make a big, big difference in everything you do. Okay, so just in case it wasn't super clear, your homework or your task is to download the worksheets that I'm putting on the fitgirlpodcast.com site and start filling them out. Uh, or you could just use a notebook or some paper and write down your recurring thoughts that are not positive or not supportive and start working through them with that identify challenge and change formula so that you'll be ready for the next podcast to hit the ground running and really start seeing some changes. Now, hopefully with these podcasts, I've kind of opened up your eyes to some of the fitness myths that are still out there. Oftentimes people will ask me a question and as I begin to answer it, they're like, oh, I know, I know. And then they'll spit out the wrong answer. So hopefully some of this is about the same way. And hopefully if you're saying, oh, I know weights are better for weight loss and this is why, blah, blah, blah. Um, maybe you're right. Maybe you're not. So let's find out. You may have heard the actual phrase, you know, go heavy or go home. Well, I have to change that to say go heavy and then go home, which means do your workout, do it, do it heavy, which is challenging. Doesn't necessarily mean a thousand million pounds for two reps, but it's just something that's really challenging and then go home. Don't stay there and chit chat. Don't do silly little exercises that aren't really going to do much to impact your metabolism. And yes, when I say silly little exercises, I'm talking about the inner outer thigh machine, all right? It's not going to do much for you, but don't get me started on that topic. Anyways, when it comes to going heavy, well, you kind of need to know what heavy is. And since we're going to be talking about some of this stuff, I actually put a one rep max calculator on my site, and you can also find them elsewhere on the internet, but just, but just to make it easy, I put it in that info and links section. So you can calculate not just 
your one rep max, but you can use that to kind of divide anything out to find your 50% or whatever. Main thing is, as long as you know a weight that you lift for a certain number of repetitions, you stick it in there and it'll tell you what your one rep max will be. Now, I actually personally thought it was a little bit on the low side, but anyways, try it, use it, see what you think, and see if um, you think it's correct about your one rep max or not, but at least it's a starting point in finding what a heavy weight should be or at least helping you determine what a more challenging weight would be than what you put in for that repetition. So if you knew you did 65 pounds um, for 10 repetitions on the squats, then I think it calculated out um, like 80 or 90 for one of my clients, which I thought was definitely too low for them. Um, but at least we say, okay, well, let's shoot for 90. And once we get there, and since it didn't take that long, <laughs> we realized it wasn't quite right. And we have another goal. So a way to help give you something to shoot for. So yeah, besides the plan, when you hit the gym, you have to have a goal too. And I know some days that goal is just actually being at the gym and walking through the doors. You've already achieved your goal. But anyways, just to kind of narrow it down a little bit. Now we've talked a lot about doing the larger muscle groups and compound exercises, things that are going to work your whole body at the same time and have a much bigger impact on your metabolism. And a lot of this also comes down to using your type 2 or your fast twitch muscles. These are the ones that are explosive, that have power because it's the endurance muscles that are not really going to do much for you. That's why we're saying get off the cardio and stick to the weights because that power is what's going to help boost your metabolism. The other thing I've always said is that you can have a lot of strength and that will give you endurance, but you can't have a lot of endurance and expect to have any strength. So strength is going to transfer into other areas, but just cardio training alone is not. So again, this is why you want to focus on these weights. Now, the other thing is these fibers and therefore these uh, exercises that are more explosive are going to give you a higher metabolism all day long. So that afterburn that you might be looking for, that sitting on the couch and burning more calories that is definitely something that's doable can happen by using these types of exercises. And part of that reason is because they also impact all the smaller ones. So when you're training your back, you're also hitting some of your biceps, some of your shoulders, and this kind of works with all the big muscle groups. So you don't necessarily have to work every little itty bitty muscle in order to impact your metabolism. I mean, sure, if you're a bodybuilder that's going for Mr. Olympia, that's a different story. But as far as keeping ourselves healthy, keeping our muscles strong, and impacting the metabolism, we don't have to work our forearms. Okay, if anything, that's really not going to help, and it'll get strengthened when you're training your back, biceps, and other things. So it's that whole trickle-down formula that's going to help your smaller muscles. Now, the added bonus of this heavier type training, it's anaerobic. And anaerobic means it's not with oxygen. So it's not one of those things that you can sit there and do for a half hour, which means it's explosive. Uh, think of things that are like jumping or just a heavy weight that you can push for five reps. Even sometimes if you did 10 reps on a really challenging weight that you could only normally do for six, you'll find that has you huffing and puffing more than cardio. And that is still helping to condition your heart as well as burn calories and impact your metabolism. The bonus of that, as I was saying, was that it actually helps you produce less cortisol, so you'll lose more weight around the belly and the core. Now, obviously, we know we can't target it exactly, but stress and cortisol is one of the things that makes that area gain more fat. So anything and everything we can do 
to help it and help reduce that cortisol and stress, then yes, we got to try to do that um, because I think we all know that there's a lot of stress in our lives and that's probably not going to diminish. So that means if you're trying to lose weight and you're really short on time, then training your biceps isn't going to do that much for you. But on the other hand, if you train deadlifts or rows, you're going to impact your metabolism and you're going to help create a little bit more lean muscle and you're going to condition your biceps and forearms and shoulders at the same time. So, you know, we're kind of looking for those more bang for the buck exercises. And hey, if you've got one of those days and you've got lots of time, or maybe you say on Saturdays, I'll do a longer session in the gym, then by all means. But we're looking for the things that are going to be short, sweet, and give you the most bang for your metabolism. Now, as if that wasn't enough alone to want to do some heavyweight training, another thing to consider is that as you age, there's usually a decline in lean mass. And that's especially if you don't work to maintain it. And since those type 2 fibers, those large muscles, those explosive muscles, contribute to your metabolism, if you don't keep them functional and, and in use and you don't keep those muscle tissues, then your metabolism is going to slow down. So it's not a fact of getting older that you automatically have a slower metabolism. It has a fact of losing muscle and not doing what you need to do to maintain it. Now, when that happens, when you lose that muscle and as you're getting older, things get stiff, you don't move really well, now you start to gain weight, and then there's different metabolic dysfunctions that just don't work right, um, and then all of a sudden you trip, you fall, you've lost strength, flexibility, you fell, you broke something, and I think we all know how that goes. So by keeping yourself strong, keeping these larger muscles working and functional, you're going to reduce the injuries, uh, reduce the risk of injuries, and you'll probably be able to recover a lot faster as well. So again, as you're older, it's not as crucial to focus on the small body parts like triceps or abs. It's better to do your squats and things like that. And yes, I have 90-year-olds that do squats. Now, no, they're not squatting for 300 pounds, but they are doing squats more than any type of abdominal thing because you know what? that's actually going to stabilize the core and they're going to work their abdominals just focusing through that range of motion. So those basic lifts are very important no matter what age you are. And by the way, squats are really important besides being like the king of exercises. They're also something you do every single day. You sit in a chair, you stand up. You sit on the toilet, you stand up. So anything that has to do with sitting and standing, you're squatting. So there's actually training heavy in certain lifts and things like that, but there's also training for power. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, today as far as getting the most out of the shortest amount of time. So obviously there's many different ways you can work out that has huge benefits, and this is just one of them. So when you're doing power movements, they can be both high impact and low impact. We tend to think of these power movements more as higher impact, like plyometrics, but there also are some lower impact alternatives. Although I got to say, I was on YouTube and saw a video that said low impact plyometrics. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So I looked and they start like by jumping rope. And then they're doing another movement that's basically jumping rope. And then the next movement was something almost the same as jumping rope. So basically it was just like bouncing on your toes for a long time. And I'm thinking that's not really, um, yeah, not variety. And it's not really what we're looking for here the lower impact movements that we're actually looking for are things that focus on power. And this is power as used in like a speed dominant sport, such as Olympic lifting or even sprinting. When you're sprinting, you're not going to be able to have that much 
resistance. You're looking for, for power and for speed and quickness. And the same thing can be done with different exercises. The resistance bands, especially those really thick ones that they have now, those tend to uh, favor this kind of lift as much better than dumbbells. But there's always a place for dumbbells and barbells and all that kind of stuff in every single type of training. Some of the types of equipment though that you might use for this type of training would be things like the, the atlas stone or the medicine balls, maybe even the sleds if you actually have access to them. And if you don't, then that's okay because there's other ways to do it, even just with your body weight. And that we're going to get into in the next episode because I know not everyone has a full gym, whether it's a gym they go to or whether they have stuff at home. But there's always things that you can use to substitute for medicine balls and, and barbells. Now with this type of power training, you are not trying to burn your muscles. You don't want to feel the burn. You don't even maybe even want to go to fatigue. You might not even feel fatigue. When you go heavy and do power type training, you go for a certain number of reps and then you stop. And if you're doing it intensely enough, you'll be ready to stop. And that could be anywhere between five to 10 repetitions. So if you imagine taking um, a medicine ball and slamming it down and then catching it, taking it overhead, slamming it down, just doing that as hard as you can. And if you don't have one, you can actually mimic the movement just without anything even in your hands. Just think of your whole body as being tense and as if you had something in your hands. But that movement would be explosive, like throwing down, throwing down, throwing down, and then stop. So you don't want to go until you can't do any more. That's not power. what power is about. And I know for some people, this is a hard concept because they're so used to feeling the burn. I got the burn. It's real good. And that's not what you're going to feel when you're doing these kind of workouts. And yes, you're probably going to feel like, geez, I could have done a lot more. But trust me, the next day, if you're doing them right, you're not going to think that at all. You're definitely going to feel probably soreness and you're going to know that you did a lot more than you realized. Now, of course, the higher impact versions are much easier to distinguish. You have things like squat jumps and even squat jumps with dumbbells in your hands. Uh, you have uh, any type of plyometric jumping, which is jumping on a, a box or just jumping from point A to point B. Um, and that's an easy thing to do at home, that explosive jump like the long jump. Uh, you also have things like uh, split lunges where you are jumping and changing the legs. And a lot of times I'll start clients out with uh, skaters because that's something that you're bounding from one leg to another and there is power and there's power involved on just the one leg and you're also focusing on balance. So even if it's not something that you feel like, oh, this is not that hard, well, you can make it more challenging, but it also might still be a challenge to your body because there's so many other factors that are working. The main thing is that whatever you're doing is going to be explosive. So even just jumping from one foot to the other, that's an explosive movement and therefore it fits the bill. Now I started playing around with some stuff at home to substitute for the Atlas stones and the medicine balls and you might call it a medicine ball, but the Atlas stone is the one that's really, really large and a little bit soft. And when you throw it down, you can throw it, if you throw it really hard, it'll bounce back to you, but it's not quite as hard or bouncy as the medicine ball. So I've been finding things to substitute for that. And so once I find, I don't know, something that's um, well-rounded, I found a couple of things that work for certain exercises only. But when I get something more well-rounded, I'll let you know because I know there's a lot of people that do exercise at home or if you don't have time, you're going to want to do explosive stuff. And jumping is not always the easiest thing for people, especially not to do correctly. But when you think about the fact that even just doing that small little jump rope move 
that's still jumping. And even just skipping down the street, that's jumping. That's, that's a plyometric right there. Um, doing that at home with using your arms. You might not feel so self-conscious about that, but maybe that's something we need to change in your belief window. Maybe you should be able to skip down the street. But these are all things that are power. So I've had some people ask me to put together a power type routine like this for them, um, knowing that it's not only going to impact their metabolism because it's those large muscles and those explosive movements to burn more calories, but also knowing that they can do it at home or when they're traveling or anywhere because... Well, obviously they want me to make them the program without using anything or using common things that are easy to find maybe around the house, like if they're out visiting grandma or something, because a lot of times if you're at a, if you're at a hotel, you probably have full access to a gym that has everything in it. Anyways, point being that some of these things I'm going to be working on putting together in either one of the websites that I've been using, Teachable or Quick Fit Club. I'll let you know when they are ready. But in the meantime... Try to do some of these explosive type exercises and you don't have to make every exercise in your program explosive, maybe just one of them. And you don't even have to have it in your program. You can actually use it as a warm up. And what I found really helpful for doing legs and training squats is doing some box jumps before I start. Just maybe two sets, maybe three sets of five repetitions. That's it. Just enough to get those explosive muscles fired and get some of those type 2 fibers moving and ready to do the work. And it kind of helps remind your quads that, yeah, you know, you can do it slow and steady, but you can also be explosive. So right now in my program, that's what I'm focusing on is the squat nice and slow on the way down and then getting some of that explosion on the way up. So it's, uh, it's definitely a lot to think about, but it works great as a warm-up. So as I come up with more exercises, I'll stick them on the YouTube channel, and that way you can use them either at home or as part of a warm part of your warm-up in your workout. And just one more key point is that this is just another way to stimulate your muscles. There's a lot of different ways to work out. There's a lot of exercises that are good, and there's a lot of them that are not good. And these are all just different ways to incorporate it because we need to do this the rest of our lives. And you don't want to be bored, but you also don't want the muscles to become accustomed to doing the same thing over and over and over. And sometimes if all you have is certain pieces of equipment, this is just yet another way to kind of mix, up, mix it up so that your muscles don't get bored and neither do you. And just a reminder that your comments, your suggestions, your emails, they all help me focus on different topics for the podcast. So I've kind of been working on that and I really appreciate them. So keep those coming. And if you do have questions, you can hit me up on social media or email. Um, even if it's a private message on social media, I do answer those as well. And oftentimes it helps because there's usually other people out there that have the same question. And then that way, if I can address it in the podcast, then we can help a lot more people. As always, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I look forward to giving you all the insights to help you reach all of your goals and to help you get your best body ever. If you'd like additional information on these topics and more articles on health, nutrition, and motivation, visit fitnessmakeover.com, allinoneworkout.com, or coachkira.com.